Hi there, you're listening to the Sim Investing Podcast where we discuss everything finance or business related. Sim stands for Simplified Integrity Meaning Prudence. Find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Sim Investing. Before we begin, we'd like to put out a disclaimer. Information and content discussed does not constitute financial advice and serves for educational or entertainment purposes only. Hey everyone, today we have the privilege of having Hao Ming on. So Hao Ming is the Managing Director of Hux Coffee, which is Singapore's uh, current largest homegrown specialty coffee chain with over 20 outlets. So Hao Ming, we'd like to ask you the first question that we ask all our guests who comes to the pod. How do you get to where you are today and um, your experiences along the way as well? Hi, uh, thanks for having me first and foremost. Uh, very honored to be part of this uh, podcast show uh, and being able to share some of my thoughts and uh, some of my, my life journey, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, like, like, like you mentioned, uh, you know, currently I'm the MD of Hux Coffee. Where, how do I get to here? I would say hard work, a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication. Uh, it wasn't a straight path. It wasn't a, a, a smooth journey at all. Um, so I must say it's um, just pure perseverance and, of course, uh, some luck as well, I guess. Um, and yeah, so I think that's, that's more or less sums up to, to where I am right now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, from what I see on your resume on LinkedIn, right, you were also the co-founder of Artbox. Could you elaborate like how you got to that idea, um, how you started it? Yeah, so I mean... Um, for art books, I mean, this, this, this happened in back in 2017, right? So, I mean, even before that, just to give a bit of a context, you know, I was in, um, this multi-label, uh, company called, uh, Megafesh. So very similar to the multi-label brand called Nice as well. So back then, some of you guys might know, uh, or heard of it or seen, uh, such retail store that was multi-label in terms of local brands, right? So what, it's actually my friend that actually started Megafesh and, um, she asked me to join her in terms of um, bringing on board more retailers and so on, right? So I think my interest has always been in creating new experiences for people, you know, bring people together, bring communities together, reaching out to, you know, reaching out to people who are, you know, unfortunately may not be have the right resources to do what they need to do uh, or may have a lot of fear in trying new things. So this has always been my, my, my interest and in, in, in fact, my passion uh, to create something, a platform, a space where people could feel safe uh, pursuing their dreams, right? So that started with all of that. Uh, of course, there's a lot more backstory to, to where I am as, as of now. But, you know, just before that, it was actually Megafish. And then uh, what happened is that, um, you know, basically I was, you know, it was part of a group. Um, and, 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 you know, I was asked to join uh, Invade, to, which was an events company back then, was just purely just doing uh, flea markets and some small uh, art markets and or creative markets, right? Uh, but they were just on a more smaller scale and all that. So, yeah, when I, when I went over, uh, I saw a lot of potential and all that as well, but it's always been a bucket list for me, right? I, I, I mean, I'm sure Singaporeans, being Singaporeans, we go to uh, Bangkok quite often in terms of holidays and all that, and we go visit night markets and, and so on. So, as usual, I also went, went, went to holidays and all that, and I've always felt that Singapore is missing this culture um, in terms of the street culture, the, the street food. I mean, we do have our Pasamalam, we do have our hawker centres, but it feels very uh, suffocated. 
uh, because there's so many red tapes to it, right? If you go there, it's so organized in in certain manner. I know people might say that, hey, Pasmalam is not even organized. How 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 are you saying that? You know, that's that's uh, organized at all, but. When you go overseas and you actually, you know, dive and indulge yourself into the street culture, into the, the street night markets and, and so on, you see it's a whole new different space. And I always felt that Singapore was missing that. So it's always been one of my bucket list to bring something like that into Singapore. Of course, um, you know, nobody really believed that that could happen, you know, uh, was, uh, was laughed upon uh, many a times saying that, how can, you know, bring, bring our box to Singapore? That's, that's impossible and so on. But, uh, but opportunity came came by. I think we we you know I decided to to fly over to Bangkok together with uh, uh, my my co-founder back then and the, and a the small team to just try it out because I have some context um, to Thai vendors uh, because of what I was doing in Megafish. So I reached out to some of them and said that hey, any one of you know um, uh, Artbox founders or something like I would love to meet them. So it's as simple as that, right? But uh, going to Thailand. Uh, looking for them, rocking up at, at Artbox and saying, knocking on their doors and say that, hey, uh, uh, are you guys interested to, to bring it to Singapore and, and, and so on. Uh, funny thing is that a week before we were flying, the news of Artbox coming in Singapore uh, was leaked out. So that was kind of disappointing for us back then. So we were like, okay, what's, what's, what's going on here? And, 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 and um, uh, someone beat us to it. But we, we thought since we bought the tickets, just go there and just check it out. So true enough, uh, I think the company that was bringing in wasn't experienced in events and wasn't actually even ready at all. So what we proposed to Artbox was that we could actually do it uh, if they if they don't want to risk the, the failure of, of, of an inexperienced uh, uh, organization bringing them in. And I think they, they took that, that leap of faith with us. And yeah, but uh, it was crazy because, because when that happened, Artbox was supposed to happen in two to three months time, less than three months time, basically. So we had nothing, we had, we had nothing prepared. Uh. So, so this is, this is January, uh, 2017, right? Uh, just before Chinese New Year. And we had less than two, three months to go to organize one of the biggest lifestyle event. And back then nobody knew what the hell lifestyle event is, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they only knew trade shows, uh, or, or Basamalam. There was nothing in between. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, basically, I mean, long story short, we brought it in. It was hell of a, a, a lot of work. I mean, I basically slept maybe two to three hours a day for, for, for three months. Um, most of the time falling asleep with my lights on and all that, just powering through. It was just a small team of us, like four to five of us organizing a 50,000 square feet space of, of event at Marina Bay Sands, sorry, next to Marina Bay Sands. And with not much experience and so on, a lot of people always ask me, like, after Artbox, especially, um, the first one, they say, hey, how many years of experience in events do you have? Like, must be a lot. I always ask them to guess. Like, they'll be like, five years, 10 years, whatever, right? And I'm like, zero. Yeah. And, 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 and the logic behind this was always been like, uh, like what I said, like, I, I have my, intre- my interest and passion is always about uh, bringing people together, communities, and, and, and giving, you know, giving things a shot, right? It's just daring to try. So, uh, yeah, so I think that was, that was really how Artbox was founded, uh, in celebration of entrepreneurship. Uh, uh, I wanted a place where creative entrepreneurs could come together to just showcase their, their, their work. Um, you know, just one weekend, right? You may have a hobby that you're doing, you know, besides your day job, but just for one weekend, come and give it a shot. We bring the crowd, we bring the traffic. Of course, I didn't expect that much traffic in the first year. Uh, it was, Wally successful at the same time, we had so many challenges that we're facing and we learned so much as well. So, 
Um, so yeah, so that, that, was, that was exactly how Artbox started in 2017 and just went from there. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned that because uh, this is like sort of the first lifestyle event that's being held in Singapore, right? So and you yeah. only had like two to three months of runway before the event uh, officially starts. How do you like yeah. create and drive traffic to such a uh, relatively unknown event in Singapore? Like how yeah. do you get the people to come? Right. So I mean, a lot of times um, people think of marketing or, or uh, as, as, as something that is like super challenging and all that, right? For me, I see it as values and all and really understanding what people uh, are looking out for and why people do what they do, right? The why behind things. Like why do you even, why do you go and buy uh, or pour yourself a cup of, co- uh, a, a cup of uh, water or something like that because you're thirsty, right? So there must be always a motivation to something that people would do. So why would people get out of their house to come to your event or even read about it or even talk about it or share with their friends? So that, that, that why is what people have to tackle and that's what where I, I, I was looking into and asking myself, um, why would people come to this event uh, when it's relatively quite new in Singapore? It's, it's basically new, brand new, but not brand new in the sense of like, uh, it's been in, in Bangkok for a few years. Uh, we know that there are some Singaporeans that go to uh, Bangkok for holiday and have seen this event as well. And I think the whole Thai element of, of, of the event was something that Singaporeans was, uh, you know, they, Singaporeans, uh, you know, they, they, they just like going to Thailand. They're quite familiar with the culture. Uh, and Singaporeans, being, being Singaporeans, normally like to explore, um, uh, uh, you know, overseas cultures and all that kind of stuff. So, so with that, with that knowledge, right, and knowing that and, and, and so on, right, we decided to create more than just a night market. We wanted to bring different lifestyle components into it. Like there's music, there's retail, there's F&B, there's art installation. And back then, people didn't know or wasn't very familiar with what's experiential, right? Back in 2017, the word experiential hasn't really been used very much in retail. Uh, installations like uh, like art installation or creative installation wasn't very widely used, except in the museums or or national gallery or so on and so forth, that kind of stuff. So, so we thought to bring it to the everyday people, right? Make it accessible, make it uh, uh bring it to the level where the layman can understand, right? So, and we make we wanted to bring about a a, a, a event that's non intimidating. It's not an art festival like that, that you need to dress up to go to. It's also uh, uh, a place you could appreciate more than just uh, Pasamalam food, for example. Right? So it's a bit more elevated than that. But we knew that there was a big hype about it because when it, when it first announced, people were like, oh, wow, uh, Artbox, the one I think I, I've seen in Bangkok is coming and all that. So we ride on the entire wave and, 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 and we knew that we needed to bring real foreign uh, Thai brands in to boost the, the event. Of course, we didn't know how successful it's going to be. We just, we just, you know, give it a shot and try, right? And, uh, and we, we just push whatever we can and, uh, brought about 100, I think it was 120 Thai vendors in the first year. Um, and the people were just got, got curious and wanted to just show, uh, come, come by, but we just didn't, we didn't expect that, that kind of turnout, to be honest. That's why we took a smaller space. First year was just 50,000 square feet, a quarter of the entire venue, right? Because, even URA or the landlords and uh, partners and so on, uh, nobody really believed in, in, in it. Uh, people were telling us that don't be too ambitious. Um, um, you, you know, you, you, you may or may not even have people turning up and all that. So there are a lot of naysayers, to be honest, but that's with every business, to be honest. And we live in that culture in Singapore where a society that 
uh, have a lot of fear for failure, and therefore people people emulate their fear upon others by telling them that they can't do it as well, uh, just because they have a lot of fear within themselves. So this this was what happened. But you know, for me, it's just screw it, just do it. Uh, what's the worst it could be, right? I mean, even if it doesn't turn out to be as well as we want it to be, at least it's a good experience. And that's that was just thought process, yeah. And um, how about the vendors? Like, because you mentioned that you brought in over hundred plus, but they're all from Thailand itself. Like, is, yeah. there, is there a specific criteria you choose to get the vendors on board? And then, and also because they have to travel out of Bangkok, right, to come to Singapore, then I think they they carry carry some form of risk for them as well. Like, how do you convince them that uh, actually this might turn out well? And, uh, and get them on board. Right. So, I mean, um, we, we work very closely with the Thai team from Artbox. Um, they already have the context as well as the experience in terms of bringing together the Thai brands and the curation of it as well. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, we have certain criteria like not having too many duplicate uh, brands or duplicate products. Uh, so, for any every category of products, we try to not have uh, too many of them, maybe just two to three of them, just a variety, but a mixture as well. But not forgetting that is, this is not just a Thai event. It's supposed to be an event to celebrate creative entrepreneurship, yep. which means that it's to, in, it's to integrate with our local culture as well, to make it Singapore, right. right? It's not just saying that let's bring a foreign event in and that's it, right? So there were 120 Thai vendors as well as actually as 200 um, about 200 Singapore uh, local brands as well. Uh, in, in we, among this mix, there were Malaysian brands, there were Indonesian brands, uh, there were brands from Vietnam and Philippines as well. So it was really uh, become a Southeast Asia kind of um, uh, 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 melting pot, right? And that became way more than just art box in Thailand, where in Thailand it's just purely just Thai vendors, right? We managed to create an event that was uh, uh, a lot more than what you would expect. And that, I think, drove uh, a lot more visibility. Uh, it drove a lot more interest in the event. And of course, the Thai vendors will be wondering, like, hey, coming in here, the risk and so on and so forth. But of course, like I said, I think with the with local uh, Thai, uh, the Thai team helping us to communicate with them, to give them some assurance. Uh, it, and, and the barrier entry is very low. It's not like the vet, the, the rental is sky high or anything. It's just a couple of hundreds for a weekend, right? Yep. And so it was very simple to just join. Of course, shipping and all that is a cost, but we consolidated them into containers and shipped them all together. So everyone sharing the cost is really not that much in the end. So yeah, we've of course a lot of challenges at the same time and, and convincing and all that. But I think as the as the days go by, the weeks go by, they saw how much media were talking about it and, and people were anticipation uh, in anticipation for such an event. Uh, give them a lot of confidence to say, uh, let's let's come in, yeah. So after the first year, right, where there was, uh, you guys seen success, uh, how do you guys mm. plan to like scale Upbox? There's just besides like the expansion of uh, the, the rental space and getting more vendors on, is there any other specific ways that you guys uh, scaled the entire event and business? Yeah, I think first year we learned a lot of, um, I mean, we really learned a lot because uh, like I said, we created a new category of event uh, when I say created a new category of event, meaning that uh, there were regulations that weren't even in place. So even the authorities didn't know what to do with it in the first year, right? Uh, literally bringing hundreds of foreign vendors into Singapore, it's a, a question mark for them. Like, you're not a tourist, you're not an exhibitor in a trade show. Uh, so you, you, they don't even know where to place us. So we, we had a lot of this learning. We disrupted the market quite a bit. And then we thought to ourselves that, hey, 
the core of Artbox wasn't just about an event, right? Artbox was just a name to a a, a, a content, a name to, of a or a name or face to a concept or an idea, right? But the idea of it, the root of it, was that content is king, right? Uh, experience, experience is what people are looking out for. People were 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 willing to get off, uh, get out of, of their their house, travel down, squeeze in the crowd, queue up. And, and sweat out, sweat it out, uh, for an experience. So then we realized that scaling, scaling art box is not just about art box anymore. The idea and concept is way more than that. The boundaries are, uh, are way bigger than just one event art box. So that's where we started to, to curate a lot more, uh, uh, uh lifestyle events in Singapore, right? It's, and it doesn't have to be the scale of art box because there are a lot of places and a lot of, uh, clients that want to do something like Artbox but didn't have the space. So we had to, we had to downsize certain things. We had to come up with a concept that is on a miniature Artbox kind of style. And that's what we did, right? So on top of just doing a yearly event in Artbox, we, we thought to ourselves, okay, we could have, uh, mini events throughout the year. And at the same time, uh, plan for the following annual, uh, uh event of Artbox. But of course, then you ask me, like, then in context of just Artbox, how are we thinking of scaling it? Of course, first thing first, we can go bigger. We only took a quarter of the space. We could easily go four times bigger. And that's what we did for the second year. And then after doing that, we're like, how else can we go even bigger than that when you already took up all the space that's available? Then we thought like, okay, why do we only keep it to Singapore? This is a Southeast uh, Asian kind of uh, uh, event, right? Why not bring it overseas? And that's what we did. We brought it to KL in Malaysia and we did twice there. We were explored doing uh, this in, in, in Hong Kong and Taiwan and, and, and so on, right? And because exploring it in Taiwan, in the end, brought forward the whole concept of bringing Shilling Night Market to Singapore, right? So so that's where all the dots started connecting and, 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 and that's where the ripple effect happens. Uh. But of course, then we got uh, uh, reached out to by many different clients, you know, to help organize uh, certain parts of like uh, events such as like Singapore Night Festival, uh, I Like Marina Bay, Chingge, mm. and so on and so forth. So we became that go-to lifestyle uh, event organizer that helps to curate uh, ideas and content into the most unlikely uh, spaces, as well as uh, coming out with a very experiential concept for, for, you know, to rethink the new retail uh, space as well. So that's those, that's what we 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 were uh, really doing a lot, yeah, back then. I mean, because I saw as well, like um, you have co-founders in everything you do, right? So I'm guessing you're not the only one doing this and executing, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, for this is because why there was a co-founder because I like I said from Megafesh to Invade, I joined Invade mm. because I rotate into Invade uh, because we are all part of a group. Uh, a bigger group and Invade and Megafesh was together in it. So, uh, I was asked to rotate into Invade to, to help them scale, to restructure the business and help them, uh, basically pivot, right? To change, do change management. So Invade already has a founder, yeah. uh, that started it. So I can't possibly say that like, oh, I, I, I'm the only one that brought in Artbox and, and did it alone. So it's a co-founding together. Uh, but like I said, I think the team was really small. Just four of them, uh, of us. Uh, but very much the experience um, in doing events was in flea markets for them, right? I think when it comes to sponsorship management, when it comes to uh, uh, space uh, planning and ideation and creation of all this, is something that I had a lot more experience in. 
you know, and 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 you know, that's that's where my 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 forty age should come in. And before that, I was curating brands to join to a multi-label store as well. So I had the context to to Thai vendors, I had the context to Singapore vendors, and so on and so forth. So, uh, but of course, it's always a teamwork. I think people like the idea of having a symbol and things and. Sometimes a lot of times I'm a symbol in 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 something like a company and or or, or a concept or a movement, but uh, I must say that it's it's never a solo job. Uh, it's always a team effort for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, because like if uh, it's very hard to get one thing to traction, but you you, you got it. Yeah. You know something to traction. You got it multiple times in multiple countries as well, right? So like, what's yeah. your decision in uh, leaving Artbox uh, in 2019? Yeah, so I mean, it was a very tough decision because it was like, you know, it's like leaving your child or your baby that you created uh, after so many years, you know, and um, and the achievement that we 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 had and the, the you know the milestone that we we made, um, it's it's something very difficult to let go, uh, you know, because. Every year, if you know, uh, Google does this uh, top trending. Uh, every year, they trends. do a recap on the top trending, right? The trends and all that. And Artbox, uh, for all three years, was the was the top ten in in for events, uh, clinching number one on twenty seventeen. Shilling night market when we first do it is number one as well. So you're right. We, it wasn't just luck because if it's just luck, it's not yeah, you do it one. Thing. Yeah, yeah, you know that's it. One hit wonder, right? We do it every year, and we do it more than just. In Singapore, we do it, you know, outside of it, and we even changed venue, uh, on in twenty nineteen because I wanted to prove a point. I was tired of people telling me that, ah, oh, yeah, you're just, you know, you have crowd because you're in Marina Bay, uh, you're in Central Area, there got crowd, sure got people come, easy to, you know, accessible and all that. And I was sick and tired of hearing that. I'm like, that's fine. You, you, you know, a lot of naysayers. So I want to prove people wrong. I brought it. So in the end, we decided that hey, let's bring this to Crunchy. There's more horses than people there. Right. Let's let's see whether we can bring half a million people to Crunchy. No, most people don't even go stop at Crunchy in their lifetime, right? And true enough, we 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 hit that, and we purposely opened Shilling Night Market at Crunchy on the same weekend that Jewel uh, Airport, uh, Changi Jewel, actually opened as well. We wanted to show that a bootstrap event could take on a one point seven billion dollar project by the government, and we still can garner the same same kind of crop without. Having some massive investment or VCs and all that involved, everything was bootstrapped. We had to raise our own funds. We had to raise our own sponsorship on that. So, you know, again, you know, fast forward to twenty nineteen, all these things. Of course, there's a lot of burnout. I was literally flying in and out of Singapore uh, every week, right? And the most I was flying like four countries in a week, right? Staying in one country less than twenty four hours. Morning I arrive, and I fly out. Next day I fly to another country. So it was like Singapore, Thailand. Uh, KL, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan is mad. Um, I I wait in the airport more than I even see my room. Uh, for a good one two years. No, it's like it's no joke. It's like 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 what? Wow, there was a it was pure burnout. Um, but I enjoyed I enjoyed every second of it, and I wouldn't have left uh if it's not um for some misalignment that we have internally. Uh, I couldn't see eye to eye on certain things as well, and I just felt that there was a ceiling to the growth that I, I can have in this uh, in this space in this um, in this company as well. So uh, you know, with a very heavy heart, I I I did my last show uh, together with the team uh, end of twenty nineteen, uh, and I left and end end of twenty nineteen. But I guess that was that was really a blessing in disguise, right? Um, uh, because a, a few months later, COVID hit and, and events got affected really badly. And I was like, wow, 
you know, I, 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 I kind of dodged that bullet right there. And because I left, I was, um, I was on a break. So I managed to squeeze in a lot of traveling before, uh, the whole travel ban kicked in because of COVID. So I must say I'm very lucky because of that. But, um, back to the question is that, um, you know, basically it was a very tough decision, but I was, I just felt that I was, there was no more room for me to grow in this area. I just needed to do more than just pop-ups and, and temporary stuff. Yep. I wanted to do something more permanent and leave something behind that's, that, that has a bigger impact. Okay. Cause you also mentioned that everything's bootstrapped, right? So like how I, cause I'm, I'm an online business type person. La. <laughs> I'm not like physical yeah. uh, location stuff. So yeah. like as bootstrap person with no reputation, like preceding the first yeah. event, obviously, how do you even like yeah. go and rent a piece of land? Like who do you even go to, to like source and even like convince them, like negotiate, Hey, I'm going to make this work, bro. Like, trust me. <laughs> like, how do you even do that? And who do you even find in the first place? Yeah. I think it is, I, I think right now, I mean, in the world that we live in, um, information are very accessible. It's whether or not you want to go out looking for them. People are very contactable uh, and people can be reached out to or places can be reached out. You can easily find out, find answers just by Googling stuff and, and, and sheer perseverance and just determination. So I think the passion and the motivation to create things was there. And I just, I mean, we just went out cold calling people, writing into authorities, finding out who owns this venue and all that. And of course, finding out that, oh, it's actually the government is URA. And then obviously they have inquiry hotlines and emails and it's just email in, you know, it's just us. And like, and back then, like I said, it was, people weren't even renting this event space or this venue because uh, CBD was dead on the weekend. So nobody really go to the, nobody think about doing events there, right? Um, so it wasn't a popular spot. So to URA, it's like, oh my God, somebody wants to pick it up over a weekend. Uh, to them, to them, it's like, oh, it's a miracle already, right? It's, it's kind of black. <laughs> so, okay, let's work on this together and, and things like that. So I, I didn't have that much uh, uh, um, uh, experience in sponsorship as well, but I think, uh, you know, just a lot of self, self-thought and, uh, uh, process, a lot of learning online. Of course, I have to give it to my earlier part of my career where, uh, I was running different businesses. I was, uh, doing a lot of different things when I was younger as well. And I think I was just, I mean, I was just born in a way where my mind works differently. I guess I just see things very differently in terms of uh, 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 you know, just giving it, you know, giving things a try and all that. Like maybe that's why I have, I managed to create certain luck out of it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, so I think, I think raising money and raising, uh, uh, um, certain, uh, revenue out of the event, uh, wasn't easy at all. We, we had, we know we had to sit down and was like, okay, how do we, what's the revenue streams we have yep. here? Of course, number one is rent, you know, um, uh, the rental of the booth, right? Uh, but how many do we have there? Like maybe 200, 300 of it. So if each one is this amount per weekend, this is how much we can make, but the cost is very high to set up. The rental of the, the venue, infrastructure, everything's very expensive. So we need more than that, but nobody's going to fund us in terms of like, uh, invest in this, invest in the company or invest in the event. So we thought to ourselves like, okay, it seems like we're gaining a lot of, uh, traction in terms of, um, uh, media attention and all that. Why not reach out to corporates? Uh, and different companies and different brands to see whether or not they want to leverage on this uh, media hype yep. 
whether they want to leverage on this event to showcase their brand. So that's where we started reaching out to the banks and, and different people. I had to draft out my own sponsorship uh, uh, contract and agreement. I have no clue how to do that. I had to just Google it, read up on so many things and um, and just wing it. La. To be honest, a lot of people always ask me this question, how do you do it in the first place? Uh, and the truth is, I just wing it most of the time. It, yeah, because you won't know what you don't know until you really try. Um, so uh, it's it's really just like I said, when you ask me, how do I get where I am? Hard work, man. It's just hard work, perseverance, determination, and just pure passion. Uh, of course, working smart as well and being critical as you go. You just you don't blindly just chung and hope for the best. That's not the way it is. Yeah. Okay. Can. So did you uh, like exit Unbox? Like you sold off your, your share to the inmate people, is it? Or what? Yeah, I mean, I basically, I just exit, I exit the whole business. Uh, uh, I decided to, 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 to um, yeah, move on, uh, basically, because I didn't want to be tied down anymore on, in terms of, you know, because it's really, like I said, it's letting go a very huge part of it, uh, a huge uh, part of my, 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 my career as well. So I didn't, I wanted a clean start. So it was a complete break off, uh, so that I could move on, uh, with, with, with life, love without any baggage behind. Yeah. So you mentioned you want to do something more permanent. Is there something more permanent? Hugs Coffee. Uh, how, how do you like end up joining Hugs Coffee and eventually uh, No, it was never in my plans. No, it's yeah. No, was it ever my, my, I, in my wildest dream, I never think that I'll be in the FMB. Uh, and that was not my, my version of permanent, to be honest. Hmm. Uh, when I left Artbox, uh, when I left Invade altogether, um, there was no plan, right? I just wanted to uh, cleanse myself and wanted to just recuperate and, and, so, and, and so on, right? So, um, so like I said, I traveled a lot and then after that, Circuit Breaker hit. Uh, but I'm the sort that I can't stay still. Uh, I can't, I'm, not, I'm not the sort that just stay at home and just do nothing. So even during Circuit Breaker, I... I, I realized that there are a lot of people that um, there was a lot of platforms that was lacking of delivery drivers and so on. So I, I, I went to join uh, quite a number of platforms, like three to four platforms, uh, like your uh, Lala Move, your, your Food Panda, your GoGo Van, and, and so on and so forth, uh, to go do some delivery. At least I can get out of the house. At least I can help. Uh, you know, there was this whole thing about sending grocery to uh, low-income families and so on and so forth. So I was volunteering for those things. Um, then during that period of time, I think I'm just the sort that, right, I just don't do things for the sake of doing it. So, so since I'm already doing delivery and uh, a part of this logistic system or ecosystem, I thought to myself, hey, just understand how it works. So I even like, that's why I joined four or five different platforms because I wanted to understand how different companies have different way of managing their drivers or riders. Um, I even went find out ways on how can I route my, my everyday delivery routes right in a more efficient manner so that I don't have to spend so much time on the road and do more deliveries. So I found free apps out there to actually, you know, free calculation and things like that in terms of your route. Um, so I was just trying to optimize all the time. Um, but anyway, it's during this whole period of time, um, you know, my, my, I met up with my child friend quite a bit because he's in Hux. Uh, he's, he's basically, he's, Hux is started by his dad. He's founded by his dad uh, 14 years ago. Uh, so my dad, my, my, my friend was actually, uh, in the business for about six years, uh, back then, uh, helping his parents, helping his dad out. Um, so 
because they are in F&B, it's considered essential business, he was still trying to do some delivery. And because, like I said, I was doing delivery, I went to help him out with sending some stuff. So I met up with him to, to catch up lah, while the rest of the world is stuck at home. Um, so he's always um, telling me and sharing me how difficult circuit breaker uh, is, is you know, affecting the business. Hux, for the first 12 years of this business, which is pre-COVID days, has always been in the CBD and the business area, right? So you can only imagine during circuit breaker, nobody was at the office, nobody was going to work uh, back in the, the, those business parks. So the revenue that they have, that they were earning pre-COVID went straight down to zero or close to zero. Uh, there was just simply no crop, right? So their business was stuck and they weren't the sort that did a lot of branding or marketing or even digitalize their business at all, right? They weren't on any delivery platforms or any e-commerce platform. Um, so then I saw that my friend was struggling very badly and he was doing whatever he can. The team was so small. It's just a couple of them. It's like a handful. Again, it was like deja vu, uh, art box days again. You know, I just saw it's a very small team. So, I mean, I, I was free. I was doing deliveries only. Um, he's one of my best friends. Lah. So joining Hawks was never to join the business. I offered to help him because I was free and because he's my good friend. I just wanted to give him a, a pair of, uh, I know, a, a, a pair of landing hands. So, you know, so I just wanted to help him out. Uh, even then, I had the funny story is that um, I had to like beg him to help him because he he was like, no, la, it's okay. La, I don't want you to get involved in the family business. Uh, it's very tough work. F&B is really tough. Or I don't want you to suffer like how I'm suffering and all that kind of thing. And I was like, bro, look, I'm free now. All right, I'm not even asking you to pay me anything because you can't afford me for sure. But but you know, FOC, good friends. Uh, I, 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 don't worry about it. You'll be doing me a favor. I'm damn bored with my life right now. I'm more than happy to come in and help you. Just take it because this is a, this is a, this is a chance of a lifetime. I mean, I was joking him and all that And then a month later, he was like, "Okay, lah. Since you're so persistent in asking me uh, to, to you know to come in to help, okay, just come in." And so it, the whole idea was to come in for just a freelance thing maybe once or twice a week as a consultant to just help them out or even just help him with delivery and so on, that kind of thing. It's like wherever I can help, I just help. There's no plan, right? Um, so, but I came in the first week and just the first day or the first second, the first two days, I was like, oh my God, there's so much potential in this business. There's so much gap and loophole. And this is not just me coming in one, two days kind of thing. If I really, truly want to contribute and create an impactful change uh, and have a significant, uh, a successful pivot uh, and sustain this business uh, for the long run. There's no way I can do this ad hoc or freelance thing yep. uh, in the first week. So in the first week, I sat down and I drew up um, a three years plan. I drew a 36 months plan, breaking it down to two phases, uh, 18 months, 18 months. And at the end of the first week, I sat down with a dad and I was like, um, you know, Ron is a dad. So I, I said, hey, Ron, um, look, uh, honestly speaking, right, your business right, has a lot of potential. But if you continue doing what you're doing right now, right, uh, honestly speaking, I see it going downhill. I, go, I see it becoming obsolete. And honestly speaking, uh, COVID, we don't know when it's going to end, right? Hopefully soon. But in the end, it lasted two years, even now, till now, right? So, um, yeah, so I, I showed him my, my game plan. Uh, for the next three years. And I told him that this is what I can do. 
uh, and this is what I think we should do uh, to, to, to be able to stay sustainable and scalable. Uh, but in order for me to do this, there's no way I can do it two times a week. I have to come in as a full-time gig. Uh, but to make this worth my time, I can't just come in and just be like, I'm not an executive uh, or, or, or intern or, or whatsoever. I know what I've done before. Not that it's, it's great achievement or anything, but I know I've achieved to a certain level already. So uh, I was telling him that I would love to put in my heart and soul into this uh, because I know my pattern uh, is that once I do something, it's full on. Already. So if I were to go full on, he has to make my, my time worthwhile. So, um, so yeah, so I, I came in um, and I basically had to prove myself uh, for at least a good one year uh, before I became a partner in Hux. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a partner in Hux. And um, yeah, and, and of course, I took on the role of a managing director to help, you know, manage and direct and of course, create change in the management and change in the business model and did the whole rebranding and, and, and so on. So it was never intentional to join Hux. Um, my intention was always just to help a friend um, and, and, and that's about it. But I just never left, I guess. Yeah. What, what do you see in Hux? Because you say you got a lot of potential, right? So like, what, what was the yeah. first thing that was like, hey, there's so many like uh, low-hanging fruit here that I can fix. Like, what were some of the things? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I felt that the business wasn't optimized uh, to, to a large extent, right? I felt that the, the success they had with uh, the first 12 years uh, was very much in a very uh, uh, niche location. Mm -hmm. So it's like less than 10% of, of, of Singapore. So if this small, so this, this niche location, they're already selling, you know, five to 8,000 cups a day. Then I'm like, why aren't you sharing this greatness and this products with the rest of Singapore and the rest of the world? Um, and there's so much potential in it. I just felt that like, my God, we, we, we shouldn't just let this business die, right? So when I, dra when I drank Hux, I mean, I've known Hux for some time because of my friend. And in fact, I even collaborated with Hux when I was in uh, Invade as Artbox. So Hux actually joined Artbox before um, in their format. So I know of this brand before. So, uh, and I know the product is good. So when I actually came in to, 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 to Hux, I was just thinking like, oh my God, the perceived value is very low. Perceived value meaning that people didn't know about it. If you, if you don't work in CBD or those business park or you've never seen Hux before, you never know of Hux. Even though there's 12 to 14 stores in Singapore, right? You'll be like, oh, I've never seen any of this. But the actual value was actually quite high. And what I mean by that is that if you by some chance come across Hux uh, back in those days and you thought to yourself, just give it a shot. Like, I don't know this brand, but looks like I'm desperate for coffee. I just want to buy something and you give it a shot. The actual value will, is, is there to actually give you a pleasant surprise. You'll be like, hey, actually the price point not bad and the coffee is pretty, pretty damn good, man. Like it's a good, it's a pleasant surprise all the time. That means there's a huge gap there where perceived to actual value is actually pretty, pretty uh, uh, jarring, right? So we need to start to close that gap. Last time, Artbox perceived value is very high. The hype is very high. But there will be people that will come to Artbox and say that the hype is very high, but come to Artbox like, hey, but what's so hot? I expect to have some aircon, I start to some space, the walkway should be damn big, you know? Then I'm like, but in Thailand, you are okay with squeezing in the narrow pathway, then you come to Singapore, when, when it's in Singapore, you expect to have uh, a big big walkway and aircon and all that, like, come on. But of course, that was back then. Uh, but um, So yeah, so I mean, I saw the potential and I never really looked at Hux as an F&B brand. Right, so I, I mean, 
that's something very weird to say, right? Because uh, by default, by any layman or first 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 look at it, you'll be like, oh, this is an F&B brand. How can you say no, it's, it's not an F&B business? It is an F&B business at its core, meaning the core products are coffee, the uh, you know cafe offerings and so on. But I saw it beyond just F&B, right? Only because I, I didn't come from an F&B background. I came from a, a lifestyle, content, creative uh, industry kind of background. I came from a background where different people from different walks of life are brought together. And I saw Hugs as mini art box in a way, the outlets. Because when you look at a cafe, right, and you think about it, and you ask yourself as a, as a cafe goer, right, why do you go to a cafe? Is it just for coffee? Experience. Not really. It's for experience. It's to meet up with people. It's to meet up with friends. It's to have business meetings. It's to have a chill out time with your loved ones or whatsoever. It's always for a social activity. It's not just for the coffee. You go there to connect. You go there to socially connect. Right. So we're not in the, just in the business of, 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 of uh, F&B. We're in the business of, of, of social connection. We're in the business of lifestyle connection and experience. And at the same time, we are also in the business of a commodity. Because I start to look at, hey, we're in the business of coffee. And coffee is made from coffee bean, of course. And coffee bean is actually a commodity being traded in, in the world. So then it's beyond that. Really. You see, once we start to think that way and think out of the box and walk out of this F&B, uh, enclosure that everyone is seeing it in, right? You want to take off this blinders, right? You'll be like, my God, the the potential and the limit is like, it's it's beyond the spectrum is beyond just an F and B spectrum already. You know, it's a commodity that we could be we, we could be looking at uh, fixing certain future prices to hedge certain future risks. We could be trading in it. We could be looking at farms. We could be looking at real estate, uh, and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, we are also in the business of a form of um, um, caffeine, right? Caffeine is a form of drug. And but and I, I don't think of it as we are in the business of, of, of a drug, but we are in the business of actually something that people do uh, uh, acquire to keep their day going, right? So it becomes, uh, or some people have caffeine uh, to actually have metabolism support and so on and so forth, that kind of thing. So it's beyond, beyond just a cup of coffee, right? So. And that's how I saw it, saw it as, and, 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 and I realized that we just, we just, for 12 years, Hux has just been, uh, uh, have, you know, have, being in the tip of the iceberg only, right? They've just been hanging around on the tip of the iceberg, not realizing how massive of an iceberg is be, below, you know, being submerged below it. Um, so yeah, so I thought that I would, I would dig deeper and actually, uh, un, un, unravel this. Yeah. And that got me very excited because I, I, if you ask me if it's just F&B, it's never my interest to just be in F&B. But it's my interest to connect people. It's my interest to connect communities, to connect businesses, to create ecosystem. And that's where Hux is where it is right now, to, to create an ecosystem that it could be self-sustaining uh, and, and a closed loop system and open loop at the same time. And, and that, that, that is way more complicated, of course, in, in one sentence. So, I probably will not be able to explain everything today. Okay, so, I mean, COVID hit, right? You come in, yeah. uh, you are the hero in the story. <laughs> so, like, I guess, what, what were the first three things that you really focused on that really moved the needle for you guys? Yeah, so, I mean, um, I, when I came into, uh, into Hux and all that, uh, it was really the, in the thick of it. So, I, I joined 1st June 2020, uh, just after Circuit Breaker, right, uh, if I'm not wrong. So the first thing uh, we, I did because I, I was circuit breaker, so I could actually go into office, uh, even though most people work from home because being essential business, we still go to office to make sure that 
the service and the product is still going on. So first thing, going to the office and all that, I was just thinking to myself that perception, like I said, percep- perception of the, the brand is very low. People don't know about it. Mm. Uh, it's not reaching out to enough people. Uh, we got to start putting ourselves out there into people's home. How do we do that? Is it just by delivery? But that's not the answer. So because delivery, if you know, there's a, uh, there's a radius to it. So if your store is in CBD, the radius of delivery is actually three kilometers. Anything beyond that, the delivery fee is actually very expensive. So three kilometers of CBD, you barely hit any residential area. So we had to be in other digital platforms. So we thought to ourselves like, okay, um, maybe you should join Fave, Shopback, Shopee, uh, uh, Lazada, and so on and so forth. Try different platforms. But you'll be thinking like, how do you sell a coffee on there? So we're just thinking like, maybe we could do it in voucher format. We could do it in, in, in uh, different kind of formats that we could sell onto such platform to at least get our name out there. At the same time, the first thing that the other first things that we should be doing is uh, re-looking into the uh, the branding because marketing is just a subset of the brand of, of branding. So first and foremost, we need to fix the branding. We need to we need to create consistency, uh, uh, a consolidated uh, voice, and, and uh, as to who we are. You know the the personality, the, the 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 brand core values, and so on. And none of this were actually crystallized back then. So uh, look in the grants to because you know resources and, and and funding was basically next to nothing, right? We weren't funded. We have you know hubs is bootstrap. Um, uh, there's no VC, there's no investors or anything. So uh, and and not like we're rolling in revenue in during COVID. So. Uh, grants was one of the things that we could look into, uh, uh, government reliefs, because I think back then they were trying to help uh, SMEs and local businesses stay afloat. So uh, I have to reach out to ESG, Enterprise Singapore, to explore different things, uh, different type of grants that's available. So we actually utilized some of the grants to actually help with our branding. Uh, we had to fight for it because uh, it's not so easy. Government just do not give out um, um, grants and funding um, like you know that easily. Either. So we have to justify ourselves and so on. So once we get the branding right, once we know who we are, then only whatever effort that you're going to put in later on is going to be meaningful. You know, if you start running without tying your shoelace, you probably will trip up. So it's just getting ourselves ready gear for the run. So that was what we we're doing, you know, restructure the business model, look into all the all the things that we, we could fix, you know, identify all the flaws, the weaknesses, the threats that we're having, and so on and so forth. All this analysis first, and then um, uh, look into our business model and restructure it that is, that's actually suitable for the new normal. So these are all the first things that we did in the first six months. Yeah. Regarding competitors, because I know like uh, as, as a student myself, I, I go out and, uh, you know, have a drink at Starbucks, coffee bean, all these different yeah. different various uh, competitors you, that you guys have. So how does um, Hux Coffee differentiate themselves from these competitors? Is it true like the things you mentioned earlier and then you just expand on them or is there any other ways that you guys uh, fend them off? Yeah, I think when it comes to competitors uh, or competitor analysis and so on, I think uh, it's the mentality first and foremost. So, uh, you know, we, we don't see competitors as so much as like a huge threat in a way where like, oh my God, there shouldn't be competitors. We know we have, you know, we should be fearful of them and all that. Competitors are good. You know, it's good to have. You can't be in a space alone because that means that something is very wrong as well, right? Um, because you can't be the only one that thought of this idea. 
uh, and competitors help to uplift and uh, 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 and help to push trends as well and help to increase the, the, the market share uh, for everyone. So it is good to, to, to have competitors first and foremost. So, so that's mindset, right? Secondly, is to as, as well uh, segment it further even. Is all coffee shop or all cafes the same competition? Are we all under the same categories? No, right? So there are different types of cof- uh, uh, cafes or different types of coffee players. Of course, you know you, 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 you know, you might have read out online before that there's a first wave coffee, second wave and third wave and so on, right? Third wave being the, the more purist, uh, artisanal kind of cafes such as your, I don't know, like your PPP, your Chai Seng Hua, your, 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 your home ground and all that kind of thing, right? A bit more purist, a bit more artisanal and specialty range, right? Then you have your second wave coffee, like your Starbucks and so on, and your first wave being the Kopi Tiam and all that, right? So once we identify that we are more in the second wave kind of uh, uh, segment, we know that we're not competing with people like um, uh, your Chai Seng Huat or your apartment coffee or your asylum coffee or whatsoever, or this kind of specialty coffee. Like we are competing with um, a chain yep. like Starbucks and Coffee Bean and so on. Um, and, and we ask ourselves what our unique selling point is. There's no point chasing the tail of competitors, right? You'll always end up chasing them if you, if you go down that route. It's to create your own market. It's to create your own niche. It's to create your own competition within yourself. So we ask ourselves, what's our unique selling point here? We are a homegrown brand. Yeah, that might be seen as a, as a, as a disadvantage because we don't have a deep pocket like Starbucks or, 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 or Coffee Bean or that kind of recognition like them. But being a homegrown brand, what do we have in advantage of that? We're Singaporeans ourselves, yep. right? So we should understand what Singaporeans want, yep. right? Uh, we should understand what kind of taste we like. We should understand the Asian palette and the kind of society that we live in. That's the advantage of being a local, right? The advantage of being able to speak our own language and communicate better with someone that is born in the same country as you, right? COVID, I saw it as a huge, huge opportunity. It was a great, Level, uh, uh, a great reset button. It helped to level the playing field because people weren't allowed to go overseas anymore. They had to spend time in Singapore in such a small place and explore local market now, right? They can't really get anywhere. They just only like, oh, I can't go out. I only can go to my nearby place. So end up people starting, started to appreciate, had a little more time to appreciate local brands. And that's where I, I, I saw that like, okay, we're a homegrown brand. We're a local brand, you know? Why not being, you know, why not leverage on the fact that we are the only chain in Singapore that does local to specialty in a way, right? You know, you can rock up to a hux and be like, can I have kopi o siu tai? Yeah, and we'll make it just like how you do it in the, in the kopi tiam, in the hawker center. Or if you want something a little bit more classic, you want a latte and all that. Yeah, sure. You want something like a fusion drink because you're feeling a bit more fun today. You want a latte gula malaka. We could do that as well, right? Because the whole point of it is that we, we, Hux is for everyone. And that's always been our tagline or the way we, we, we present ourselves. It's a non-pretentious, uh, uh, no prejudice whatsoever in terms of preference. You could rock, you can come into Hux in shorts and slippers and you still feel comfortable. You could come in there in your business wear and have a business meeting and you feel it's still a suitable place to do so. So the range becomes uh, 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 again, it becomes an all-encompassing, inclusive space for everybody. Three generations of people could be uh, uh, enjoying it there. Your grandparents could be there drinking kopi. 
your 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 parents could be there, uh, maybe trying the the classic drink, whereas you you're maybe wanting a bit more fun stuff. And now in the residential area, we even have uh, gelatos and all that for the kids, right? So it's for the family. It's for everyone. It's a place where Singaporeans can go there and escape to. So it's almost like a second home that we're trying to build, which is what we say always say home is where hearts is, um, and 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 so on. So that's where we started to build our own niche. And our pricing, if you look at our pricing, it's always been very competitive. We we know we know as our as a coffee player that coffee ain't that expensive. It's not as expensive as what Arabica and and what Starbucks portrays uh, portray it to be. You shouldn't be paying ten dollars for a latte. Because we know it's not, it's far from, I mean, the cost is not even that high. So people have been overpaying because of branding and because of perception. And we just wanted to give people a no frills, honest uh, 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 product, right? So you can come into house and you'll pay four, five, six dollars for a good double shot uh, uh, coffee rather than paying eight, nine, ten dollars at Starbucks for the same thing a coffee that is more or less sugar uh, and all that. So, so, so we, yeah. we, we, you know, so that, that's where we're coming from. Everyday pricing for everyday consumption for everyday people. Uh, 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 and that's where Hux position ourselves, right? And, 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 and I guess that hits home for, for a lot of people. So uh, from what I understand, Hux, their menu is sort of like an East meets West. And then uh, you guys carry a lot of stuff. And then you, just curious, do you guys uh, ever come up with like a, uh, new ideas to add onto the menu? Do you know like when, how you should add it in, uh, when to add it in, and also, also when to remove it? And also by carrying this wide range of inventory, right? Does it like impact your, uh, because I know there's some shell lives to it. Is there like uh, any tools that you use to manage inventory or, or you take that from your learnings from your days as a, the delivery drive rider, the, the optimization, that you just carry the lessons here? I, I think the, um... Uh, the, when it comes to the operations side of things, right, I'm very blessed that when I joined Hux, they already got 12 years under their belt. Meaning that they all, they, you know, so Hux may not have focused on branding and marketing in the first 12 years, but one thing they focus very well in is in products and operations. That's where my friend uh, was, uh, you know, was been helming the, the business together with his parents for, for, for those many years, right? So uh, the know-how in terms of managing inventory and, and products and coming out of our own R&D of new products, a lot of times it's already something that I got to learn from them as well. I got to uh, um, uh, receive all this information from them. And of course, uh, pairing with my knowledge and my experience, I think we are able to optimize it even further. So I definitely would say that it's not my, from my own experience. It's definitely learnings as, uh, from them and uh, working as a team together. Uh, I'm, I'm good at what I do, but does not mean I know how to do everything. So I'll, like I said, uh, uh, it was never a solo job. So my friend is very good in operations, very good with all those other things, product development and all that. So hand in hand together with the rest of the team, we we, we, we really harder together and, and, and come out with different formulas. So of course, you talk about new products. Uh, the simplest way to, to think about new products when to launch it is seasonal period, right? Like your Chinese New Year, your Valentine's Day, your Halloween, your Christmas and so on. So we always have kind of uh, this set calendars uh, every, every year. Uh, in terms of new products to launch. But at the same time, we also collect a lot of data in the backend. So when you ask whether or not is there software that's doing all this, uh, when I first joined, I think there was basically almost not, no such uh, digitalization hubs, right? Collecting of data is very manual. 
So one of the first few things that we did was changing up our POS system, our point of sale system, because I felt that that was the point where sales happen, right? So it's coming also point of sale. Yeah. And that, that literally is the most important point to me at, uh, at the lowest hanging fruit, right? Because that's where you are collecting your day-to-day -day consumer behavior. What is selling, what is not, um, how many people are buying it, uh, how many lattes are being sold, what's your best seller, what's your worst seller, all these things are all there. All this data needs to be collected. Uh, and so I, I, first and foremost, we went to digitalize in that format. But before that even happened, we had to go fight for grant to, to, to do all these changes because, you know, like I said, resources are low. Uh, we're bootstrapped, right? So, so uh, right, we rely a lot on our POS system at the start, the new system uh, to actually collect all this data. And we do a lot of analysis in the back end. And we also do a lot of competitor analysis in, in terms of what is out there in the market. What are people selling it as? Uh, of course, like I said, I think uh, Hux have 12 years under the belt already. So they have good relationship with suppliers and uh, the know-how in terms of where the supply can come from. So uh, some of this knowledge is already available and already there. And um, so, yeah, so I think so. all this combination of factors come together, uh, gave us the, the know-how to actually introduce new products and remove products at the same time and actually optimize our manual offerings. Yeah. How about the uh, the team, the building of the team of Hux Coffee? Because when you first came on, you mentioned that uh, it's not as much people. Like, what do you look for in the like the hires that you have in terms of fitting the culture? And so, who were your first few hires when you came on, like their positions and stuff, to help kickstart right, the change? Uh, yeah. The the first few people that I because the team was like only I think it was only three of I think three or four of us in Hux. Um, when I first came in here, so uh, not many. Uh, didn't really didn't even have departments, no such thing as departments. So if, if you receive a name card uh, from Hux, when you meet one of them, there's no department at all because everyone does everything, right? So uh, we needed to have an organization structure, uh, but you can't just structure it. Uh, uh, um, you can't have everybody on all the departments uh, from day one. So again, we asked ourselves what's the strategy, right? So branding, marketing, you know, restructuring and so on needs to happen first, right? So of course, then I'll be looking at marketing role. I'll be looking at someone that is not just good about marketing, but somebody that has a creativity and uh, and the insanity like myself to do to do different things. Like they had to do different things, right? So I need a creative person. I need somebody that's uh, a marketer. Then of course I need somebody that's also good with their numbers and 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 and, and uh, uh, also understand business to a certain extent. Understand have the have the passion for strategy. So I I was looking for someone that's in business strategy, and so on. So my first couple of hires was actually uh, people that I worked with uh, for some years already actually uh, and they also decided to leave uh, uh, my, my previous uh, uh, job and, and and yeah so then after that they joined me uh, in this and so that I, I actually bring about uh, this capability but it's really not just the capability that I was looking out for it's really the mentality uh, you can have someone that's super good at marketing or someone that's super good at finance or business strategy, but not willing to adapt or change or be different, uh, not willing to hustle, don't have the same kind of, um, or maybe in a different phase in life and so on, then you also wouldn't fit, right? Because like you mentioned, it's building a culture. And what kind of culture are we building here? Culture always comes from top down. Right, it, it it always comes from the from from the person who wants to start off it as first. It emulates from them from that 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 one or two person or 
or the, uh, the, the core team first. Then from there, it starts to emulate to the rest of the layers and eventually to your customers as well, right? So, um, so yeah, so I think it's bringing the right people on board, the right energy, uh, the can-do spirit, uh, willing to get down and dirty to, in terms of uh, 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 doing the nitty-gritty hustling kind of work, um, willing to, to just be out there and be different. Uh, those are the kind of mentality we're looking for, the right attitude. I don't need someone to be like, like uh, know everything because you don't know technicality everything. and yeah, you, you can't know everything. But even if you do have a lot of experience and all that, uh, you know, so what, right? I think the right attitude to want to learn is more important. So the willingness to learn is super important. Yeah. So these are all the few things I was looking out for more than just about capability. Yeah. I can ask, right? Because uh, I drink a lot, of, a lot of bubble tea. Even I look at the right. Koi business, right? Technically, it's a yeah. F&B or like drinks, right? Then they have like, they have their core offers where like, okay, milk tea, oolong milk tea, honey milk tea. Then they have their special stuff, you know, the mango, I don't know, blah, 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 right? So how do you think about uh, product development? And is it even necessary? Because I would think that like your your hero SKUs or like your best sellers, right? Drive majority of the revenue. And if we put more effort into product development, we may get more sales, but also it's like, there's limited resources, right? So it's like we are taking time away from other things. So how, how do you think about that sort of the business? Yeah, but I think uh, it also, again, it boils down to the mentality again, because if it's like anything else, if you think that you're already successful now and you don't need to change it, you don't need to keep on innovating and keep improving your current success, then you will very well be the victim of your success. And that's what it's going to be. If you think that today the bubble tea, let's say bubble tea, or let's say in Huck's point of view, let's say latte, just because latte is the best seller, it means that you forever be the best seller. You know, Rome, Rome can be taken, uh, the empire can be taken down as well. It does not mean that you'll always be successful. If you stop innovating, if you stop accepting and adapting and, 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 and allowing yourself to be flexible enough to, to, to accept change, you're going to be obsolete one day, right? Because today, maybe people like this taste of bubble tea or this taste of your coffee, but does not mean five years down the road, the same taste and trend is going to stay. People will change. And if you don't change with the society, all the people, all the trend and what's out there, the, the, the technology, the, the supply, the, 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 the raw ingredients, you'll never be able to keep up uh, and, and sustain and scale from there. So right now, even for Hawks, right? Uh, we've been selling kopi and, and, and latte and so on and so forth, this hero uh, 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 products for many, many years. And they're very successful. Our best sellers are kopi or latte and all that. But that's not mean we stop. And how do we innovate from there? We actually go and decide to launch our own roastery. We let's, let's, let's roast our own coffee. Let's make it even better. A bean does not mean a same bean roasted by someone uh, or roasted by yourself uh, can be very different. Different people doing it differently, right? It's different artists, right? Different chefs. So we decided to create our own capability because in-house capability will, will give you the flexibility and, 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 and bandwidth to create new stuff you will not be held hostage by third party. One thing that we learned in COVID is that uh, uh, if you don't do it yourself, if you don't have the know-how, if you don't invest in yourself, invest in in-house capability, you're going to be held hostage one day by somebody else. And we don't live our life on someone else's term. We want to live our life on our own term. And that's why we, 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 we spend and invest in such things. And even as of today, the last one month, the latte you drink at Hux, it's a new blend. 
we have we are we just launched our new blend. Uh, of course, it tastes very much like the old blend, the, the the previous one. But there are certain notes in there that we started to elevate it. We're starting to shift them to change the 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 the, the taste note and all that to keep up with the trend. Um, and we haven't announced it or anything. People have been drinking for a month, and we've been collecting feedback and all that. And just so that to keep it interesting, right? Product development is not just about coming out new things. Uh, expansion, uh, innovation is not coming out. It's not just about coming out new things. It's about constant improvement, even if what you have. I think that is where the key is. Uh, a lot of times, people think that development means new, new stuff, invention of new things. It's not. Sometimes it's not reinventing the wheel. Sometimes it's just making the wheel better. Um, uh, 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 and making it more efficient or sometimes it's just to remove the entire wheel altogether and then just say that let's just change vehicle um, so it's, it's it's all about the mentality when it comes to that so we have that mindset to begin with so it applies to everything else everything that we do it applies to it uh, whether it's a product development whether it's a business development whether it's a marketing finance operations people and culture everything is applied with the same mindset same mentality same core values uh, and that's how we operate. I, I saw that on the site, right? There was like a franchising portion. Are the, the current 12, 13 units or so, are they franchise as well? Or do you fully own those properties? So currently right now, uh, Hux, we have 22 outlets in Singapore. Uh, so what happens out of these 22 outlets, of course, there's a small portion of them is the what we call the, the old batch of franchising. So the old batch of franchising is basically a traditional franchise model, which is... Just to recap that, it's just simply buying into a franchise. You'll pay a franchise fee. You will operate it yourself as, your, as, a, as a franchisee, uh, getting support from the principal, which is the franchisor. And every month you pay a royalty. That's the traditional model of franchise, right? So during COVID, at the start of it, the first six months, we, we overhauled the entire model. We tore that apart, ripped that apart, threw it out the window, recreated something new. Um, we had, you know, basically, uh, you know, we had to read into different models like um, hospitality model, timeshare model, corporate bonds, unit trust, property, property investment, and so on and so forth, and understand why people even in invest. Why do people even want to invest? What is the ROI people are looking for? What's the yield people are looking for? Uh, and where are the pain points of our investor? What are the first few things that, that worries them and keep them, keep them up at night? You know, so we, we went to analyze all this and create a new franchise model called the franchise management service model, right? So in a nutshell, all the new franchisee, the last one year we opened about 10 stores, they are all under the new franchise model. But the new franchise model is that a franchisee invests in it, but we operate it for them. The ownership does not, does not fall on the franchisee, it falls on hubs. So uh, to answer your question, uh, out of the 22 outlets, maybe a uh, uh, 20 30 percent is still owned by the, the 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 old batch of franchisees. I think four or five of them. Only. Uh, the rest of it is all owned by Hubs. But because only because right, um, through my learning in, in in the first six months and really going out there for to do surveying and focus group, right, I understand that a franchisee actually doesn't want to own the machine, the espresso machine, the counter, the tables, the chairs, because when they are up, when they are done with their term. And they don't wish to continue. They don't know what to do with these things. They like, uh, do you want to buy it back? Do you want to take it back? Because I don't even know what to do with this fridge or this freezer or this, this espresso machine. I'm not going to bring it home. Um, it's a burden to them. So they don't want to own it. They don't actually want to own a shop. What they want is a better ROI. What they want is a better ROI on their investment. That's it. They want you to break even for them ASAP and then they want to make money ASAP. 
That's their number one uh, 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 priority. Yeah, they may like your brand, they might believe in your brand, but that's secondary to a franchisee. The first priority to them is ROI. So once we understand that, it's all about creating and optimizing ROI for the new batch of franchisee. It's about creating a model that makes sense to them, that, that is truly what they are looking for. And we try to mitigate as much pain point and as much risk for them as much as possible. So under this new model, they don't have to quit their job to run a store anymore. They don't have to take on that risk. Uh, we run the, 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 the shop for them. We do the dirty work for them. Every month, we, they get a payout. We, 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 we do a reporting to them. They, they pay us a service to run the shop for them and so on and so forth. And then and, and, and that's it. Um, of course, there's a lot more details to it like, as to how the returns are going to be. They don't pay us royalty. Uh, it was a it's, a, it's a whole new different payout system and a whole new uh, uh, ROI system that we created uh, that, that resulted in us needing to draft out the, the franchise uh, agreement from scratch with our legal, uh, legal team uh, uh, back 2020. Yeah, because was, there's no such thing available in Singapore. Yeah. With this new model that you have, right, uh, would you say there are any situations where you feel that uh, there is expectations by set by the uh, investors or the franchisees that, uh, that you have to like uh, manage and juggle to, to, to make it more realistic? Of course. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely, of course. I mean, whether or not new model or old model, right, uh, generally, anyone who invests in you, right, they're going to have expectation, right? It's not just about monetary investment. Anything that, that causes someone to invest in you, there's going to be expectation. Even a relationship going to have expectation because someone invested their feelings in you, right? So it's the same logic. Uh, so, so it's not about new or old model. So there's always expectation. There's always going to be pressure. There's always going to be certain um, uh, 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 media ground that they, they hope to have or certain things that they hope to achieve out of this investment or this partnership with you. So, um, like I said, I think the model has to, uh, of course, we come across certain, at the at very start, you know, certain feedback and certain uh, moments where we realize that, hey, the model is not perfect yet. All right. And we never thought that it was perfect. It was always, uh, let's learn along the way. And in a way where we also keep revising the model to make it more optimized. So we get, we, we every month meet the, the different franchisees, get feedback from them and really truly listen to them what's the real pain point. Of course, some are valid, some are not valid, right? Uh, and then you start to look into the valid points and, and, and see how we can optimize. And so far in the last one, one and a half years since the, the, the new model has launched, we have revised the, the, the model twice already and, 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 and it's to keep on uh, optimizing it. And it's to create a win-win situation. As long as an investor, an investor is with you, not for short term, they are in there with you for, uh, you know, it's a relationship, right? So as long as you are willing to optimize, to create a win-win situation for each other, I think uh, that very much put them at, 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 at ease. Uh, and that's how we, that's how we handle our, our, our franchises anyway. Uh, it's always working hand in hand, being very transparent with everything uh, and being very honest about everything. So it's always an open communication. Yeah. Okay, this is the last question that we have that we ask every guest who comes on. <laughs> like who, who is the CEO that um, you take inspiration from or are following? Yeah, I mean, uh, this was the one question that was like, well, how to answer this? Because I, I don't particularly follow any, uh, uh, only one or two. I mean, I, I do look up to a lot of people. I, I, my mentality has always been, um, you know, you, you, there's, there's always something you learn, you know, at every age. No matter how successful you think you are or what you achieve is, is enough, 
there's always room to grow. Uh, I I learned so much from my own my own uh, my own teammates, uh, my own uh, employees, and, and and so on. And and at every level, even at the retail level, where my ground crew and all that, I go to the store, talk to them, and it's being human, right? It's being human. It's not going in there and saying that like, oh, I'm the MD, therefore. You know, you you do what I say, tell you to do. It's not that. It's it's it's, it's approaching with people with their empathy and their having being human about it. So, um, yeah. So that's always been my 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 personality anyway. So, I follow, I look up to a lot of CEOs and all that. But if you were to ask me, I, I mean, I look up to a lot of local successful local brands, mm. right? Brands that really break through that vicious cycle or that because I know how it feels like. I know how it feels like to be suppressed and 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 to be. To be looked down upon as a local brand, because ultimately people just don't think a local brand can make it, because they think that like, ah, uh, how far can you go? Your deep, your pocket is not so deep. You're not that famous. You're just in Singapore only, and so on and so forth. You know, um, people don't really believe much in local brands, right? Um, so I really look up to some of these local brands that have been there already, like Charles and Keith. You know, some brands like Love Bonito. Uh, my friend, there's you know, the, some of my friends that that started a shop back, for example. I have the privilege to know some of these this, this founders and, and CEOs out there that started from nothing, literally nothing. Like Shopback, um, when it first started like seven, eight years ago uh, at, at SunTech City, we were sitting in the cafe doing work. Uh, I was at Megafesh trying to onboard new, new, new vendors. They were there trying to, uh, trying, to, trying to start this thing called Shopback. Uh, and we were one of the first few uh, vendors to join Shopback back then. And and today, you know, as of today, they are one of the fastest growing app, and that that is inspiring because they managed to break out of this 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 vicious cycle, right? This uh, SME mentality in Singapore. Um, so definitely, I, I I take a lot of inspiration from them. Uh, literally, my new HQ that I'm sitting in now is in Charles and Keith Building. Uh, we took over their level one of their their building. Uh, they own four buildings in Taising itself, and this is their very first building they ever owned 20 years ago. So being in here was very inspiring because when I went over to their office for a meeting and all that, uh, it's like an empire that they created. And it just gives you that, um, that, that, that sneak preview that anything is possible. If you dare to, 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 to believe and dare to dream, that doesn't mean you're a homegrown Singapore brand means that there's no way you can conquer. I mean, they literally got got invested by LVMH, right? So all these are some of the brands. Of course, if you ask me on the uh, on the bigger global picture of things like what kind of CEO that I that I look up to and all that, um, he's not around anymore. Uh, also very cliche and very 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 typical. But uh, like Apple Steve Jobs really is somebody that inspired me a lot. He's not perfect. That's the thing. He has a lot of quirks and 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 and, and uh, personality traits that uh, may not be very well liked. But it's not about those things that inspire me. It's just his his way of thinking, his ability to see more than just the box. His ability to tear that box open and just say that like, why are we even sitting in the box? Why is there even a box? Why 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 can't there be a a, a room or something else? You know. So it's and and that that has always been one of those few things that that um, helps me to to govern my my principle in life and my values as well. Um, to always try and I always tell my team this, you know, you don't try, you never know. Only until you try, then you know it works or not. And what's the worst it could be? It's a yes or no anyway. And most, if, and most is a no. And most is it didn't work out, right? And that's fine. Because you learn something. You learn that you can't do it this way. Then you just do it another way. And it doesn't matter. 
It really doesn't matter. It's worse off, right, than not trying and then regret after that that you should have. Yeah, yeah that's the worst because you can't buy back time. You can't turn back time. And so my biggest fear is always uh, regret. Uh, so I'll rather just do it and be stupid about it and, and make a fool out of myself trying and be embarrass myself than to later on feel foolish internally because I regret not trying. Uh, that, that is my, that's my, the way I live my life. Okay, lastly, uh, how can anybody reach out to you or learn more about Hux Coffee? Right. So, I mean, uh, I'm an open channel, on, especially on LinkedIn. I mean, you guys reach out to me on <laughs> LinkedIn. I, and I never ever look, uh, look at something and, and, and tell myself that, ah, you know, uh, whether or not they are worthwhile to spend my time or do they have very good exposure or outreach and all that. I, I don't care about all these things. I, my, so, that's why I'm even, you know, I'm, I'm a mentor in Mentoring Alliance of Singapore um, to, to help uh, students to help uh, startup founders or uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, um, you know. So it's it's a very open channel in me. Only because also uh, when I was younger, I didn't really get much help in terms of um, uh, get much as much support. Not not about my family or my parents. It's more of like externally. I never really had many mentors or or, or people that, that that could help me through certain of the tough times and. Uh, there are a lot of personality traits that I was born with that isn't so uh, so straightforward. Like you know, I have ADHD. I have I you know I, I have things like that, that 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 doesn't give me the best head start with a lot of things. Um, so now that I'm where I am and I'm not even successful yet, a lot of people always say, "I mean, you I, I think you've created a lot of things and done a lot of things that's very successful." And I always tell them that I don't think so. I really don't feel that I'm successful at all. I just feel that, yes, I've achieved some stuff, but we're just warming up. We're just warming up right now. And um, um, it's, it's not successful enough because, because I, I see success as bringing more people across the finishing line together. So I, I never really got the right, the same kind of help when I was younger. So now that I can help people, if, if there are people who want to reach out to me to speak to me, want me to share more thoughts on how my journey, I'm more than happy to, to do so. Um, I have certain mentees that, you know, I take out my own personal capacity, uh, my time to, to, to do so, to help out, and that's fine. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm also human. I can't, I'm, I'm not, you know, more than 24 hours a day, right? I have only 24 hours a day, so, so. but I'll do what I can. Uh, I'll do what I can, always. Yep. Hey, thank you so much, Homie, for your generous sharing, and um, see you guys next. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much.